Welcome to Family Office Connections. My name is Tracy Tewins, Managing Director at Boston Private. With me today, I have a very special guest, Tim Draper. Prior to getting started today, here's a brief bio on Tim. Tim is regularly featured on, on all major networks as a proponent for entrepreneurship, innovative governance, free markets, and Bitcoin, and has received various awards and honors, including the World Entrepreneurship Forum's Entrepreneur of the World, and is listed as one of the top 100 most powerful people in finance by Worth Magazine, as well as the top 20 most influential people in crypto by Crypto Weekly. Number one most networked VC by Always On, and number seven on the Forbes Midas list, as well as number 48 most influential of Harvard alumni. Global Guru also lists Tim as one of the top 30 startup gurus in the world. He's a supporter and global thought leader for entrepreneurs everywhere and is a leading spokesperson for Bitcoin, blockchain, ICOs, and cryptocurrencies. Having won the Bitcoin U.S. Marshalls auction in 2014, invested in over 50 crypto companies, and led investments in Coinbase, Ledger, Tezos, Bancor, and others. He created Viral Marketing, a marketing method for exponentially spreading an electronic service from customer to customer, instrumental to the successes of Hotmail and Skype, among others. Arguably, social media, crowdsourcing, and growth hacking are all outgrowths of viral marketing. To promote entrepreneurship, he created Draper University, a residential and online school based in San Mateo, to help extraordinary people accomplish their life missions. The schools trained 1,200 entrepreneurs from 84 countries and have built 400 companies. He started Innovate Your State, a nonprofit dedicated to crowdsource innovation in government, as well as BizWorld, a nonprofit organization that teaches young children of elementary school, intermediate school, and college age how business and entrepreneurship work. Tim has served on the California State Board of Education and led a movement for local choice in schools, culminating in becoming a proponent for statewide initiative for school vouchers. He also led a statewide initiative to create competitive governance with six Californias, followed by another initiative for three Californias. Tim received his Bachelor of Science from Stanford with a major in electrical engineering and a Master of Business Administration from Harvard, and he has two doctorate degrees from the International University and Trinity College of Dublin. Finally, Tim wrote a book called How to Be the Startup Hero. <laughs> Welcome, Tim. Great. Thanks, to, thanks for having me, Tracy. This is going to be fun. Our discussion today, Tim, I thought we would include three main points. The impact of COVID-19 in the world of venture capital. How is the industry evolving as the pandemic continues to shape our ongoing way of life? The next point I thought among three would be, are we undergoing what is a renaissance for the future of entrepreneurship, innovation, and new concepts amid the struggle of the pandemic? And three, what does this mean for family offices and how they look to put capital to work in venture going forward? So um, actually, the one that strikes me is how this is going to affect family offices. I actually think that um, and it kind of answers your question. I actually think that uh, venture, old line venture capital, the way it's been done for many, many years, is going through a major transformation um, where it used to be that a few venture capitalists sort of controlled a lot of capital and then they hunted for various companies. Now I think that there is a new form of venture capital, which is... Um, 
attracts all the, the entrepreneurs to a place and then builds those entrepreneurs to where they're fundable. Um, it's, it's a new model. And so as a family office, I would suggest that um, you start thinking of moving away from the existing model and moving toward another model. I mean, the, um, the old line, Sequoia, Excel, Benchmark, DFJ, whatever, uh, I think has has evolved and uh, and now it feels like it's um, uh, we've benefited from it um, because we've got the Draper ecosystem, um, but also uh, YC and Boost and 500 and um, TechStars, I think are starting to lock up supply. And so that the there is a bit of a power shift from the, the the, the people where pensions all put their money into these bigger venture funds and those bigger venture funds sort of decided where they would put their money. Now there is a lockup of supply of primary sourced venture deals. <clears throat> the ones that are, that aren't just sort of where angels threw money into them. Uh, that is now sort of where the bottleneck is and where the, so there's been a power shift. Um, I think people are going to start recognize that, recognizing that over the next three or four years. Um, the thing that I think the pandemic has done is, um, you know, people say, oh, it, it contracted time. Well, yeah, um, people were locked in place and they had to uh, start exploring using Zoom calls and, uh, and then they opened up Bitcoin wallets and they learn VR and they tried a variety of different things that they may not tried for many months or years if they had still been able to like hug people. Um, so I think that, um, that yes, there is in some ways a contraction where the, um, a, a time contraction where we've taken a leap. Um, people are using remote medicine now and they're using remote education where they might not have otherwise. Another way to look at that is when there's a shock to the system, uh, entrepreneurs have this, uh, this great new uh, open field to go innovate and they are innovators. Um, you can see, and it's not just entrepreneurs, you can see all around the world, people are trying new things and innovating and New York has outdoor seating for the restaurants. The, so many things have, have evolved to make sure that, um, that businesses keep going. Um, <clears throat> the UN predicted that, well, uh, uh, one million people may be dying from the uh, disease itself. The lockdown is going to kill 135 million people because mm -hmm. of starvation and cutting off the supply chains to other countries and uh, so many other things. Uh, and and so I think politicians, when they put a Band-Aid on something, they should be really thinking about what are the secondary and tertiary effects of their, of their uh, proposals. Um, but that aside, it it has shocked the system. When there's a shock to the system, you get all sorts of interesting things that happen. When when the financial crisis hit, that was a shock to the system. 
and uh, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto came up with Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, people mm -hmm. were, people were give, losing faith in the dollar, and he came mm -hmm. up with Bitcoin. And Bitcoin has is a one of the maybe it's actually three of maybe the biggest six technological advances uh, for the next decade. <laughs> Whether it's the currency, Bitcoin, the blockchain. Uh, a stable place to keep money and to keep perfect track of money in data mm -hmm. um, and smart contracts where uh, those smart contracts are um, uh, new ways for us to put together legal documents uh, mm -hmm. that, don't, that aren't subject to interpretation by lawyers. So this is, we're, yes, you mentioned Renaissance. I think that there's a Renaissance coming and it's this. Um, people are going to move from fiat to crypto. People are, I mean, crypto is just better. Bitcoin is just a better currency than the dollar. It's better, it's certainly better than the Argentinian peso or the Nigerian naira. And after we just printed 15 trillion of them, um, it's better than the dollar too. Um, it's a better store of value. It's easier for me to send. If, if I wanted to send Tracy money right now, Right. Um, Bitcoin would be the easiest way for me to send it. I, I don't have to call a banker. I don't have to wire money. I don't have to. And if you're in another country, I don't have to call Western Union and have a translation. It, it just happens. It's it's automatic and it's frictionless. Um, so there is just a better currency. It keeps perfect records on the blockchain, which means that once all the accounting systems have been built around the blockchain, which is coming, um, we're not going to really need to use dollars anymore and taxes will be built into the blockchain and uh, the accounting systems will be built into the blockchain and we won't need, I mean, the accountants will have, will, will be able to give us more advice and less spend less of their time doing bookkeeping and auditing and, you know, whatever accounting system that they have to um, do because it'll all be built into the software. And then, and then I believe that we're going to be able to. Uh, I suspect that my next fund. I mean, we're we're closing up one now, but my next fund uh, will probably be all Bitcoin, where I'll I'll invest the money in Bitcoin. It will go to my employee. Those companies will all pay their employees and suppliers in Bitcoin. And then the entire system with the LPs and the GP will um, will be on a smart contract. So when there's a distribution, it will automatically fall into your account and we won't have to go through a transfer agent or whatever else. And it'll save me a fortune in legal and accounting. Uh, and I think that that is a new form that we are moving toward. And, uh, and I think that that is... I think this is a really exciting time. I think it's actually, um, it's transformative from, you know, the, the pandemic renaissance and it's, and it's changing the nature of finance, banking, commerce, all those things. But it's also transformative from a, the standpoint of a um, anthropological lift. Uh, where we kind of went from being tribal, where everybody is operating around one geographic territory or another, 
And that line, those lines, those borders were like, don't cross this border so that we don't have a war and don't fight each other. And we can both prosper because we haven't crossed the line to now one where we're global and the internet helped this, um, where we're all better off because we're global and open and, you know, the, the world is, the geographic borders become less relevant. Well, there are also politicians that are going to fight that. They're going to say, no, we need borders, we need trade wars, we need whatever. But um, but the, the visionary politicians, the top politicians are going to go, wow, this is exciting. It's if I open my borders, if I encourage more trade, if I bring in Bitcoin, if I bring in 5G, I'm going to be a center that's going to attract all the best people and all the entrepreneurs and all the money and all the businesses to my country. So these, these it's interesting, we're at a time where we're going from tribal to global. Half right. the politicians are retracting and pulling back and saying, no, we, I like it the way it is because I can control everybody, stay in place, wear a mask, do whatever. And then half the politicians are saying, saying we're open. We are, we're encouraging more people to come in. We want more trade because our people will benefit from that rather than my individual power. So, uh, so you're going to see a bifurcation and the politicians that, that go the freedom route are going to be the huge beneficiary over the next four or five decades. This is a huge leap. It's a huge change. Um, I think we're, we're about to go into this, and this is, um, this is quite an exciting time. Very, very exciting. And you brought up some absolutely fantastic examples, specifically crypto and Bitcoin, specifically um, <clears throat> The, the the ability to work contracts the smart contracts without legal um you know oversight those are two prime examples of how things are shifting um but you also mentioned the shift in the dynamic at the venture capital level relative to family offices and relative to um another area which i think is really striking um the fight for global talent so it's almost this real strategic view of what's going on globally meets really an industry which is a cutting edge innovative new concept industry you know this is such a big monster to, to wrangle how do we how do we encourage family offices to really make an impact with the money that they do place in venture how do they make those selections um and and how could you give them some insights into that well, um, when you have a big shock to the system like this, whether it's the pandemic or the open globe, um, it does, money does better, entrepreneurs do better in um, dynamic climates. Um, when things get static, uh, the big companies do better. Um, and and so we're, we're about to go into another dynamic period. So it's a good time to be backing entrepreneurs, funding venture capitalists, that kind of thing. Um, and actually, you probably want to move the money from the, the old static venture capitalists to the new dynamic venture capitalists that originate their own deal flow. Is there a compression there in the industry <laughs> of, of players? I think that the... Uh, the power is going to shift uh, to where when somebody has primary deal flow and some of those companies become quite valuable, 
there'll be a very competitive offering amongst the, the, the people who just have been sitting back and waiting for companies to come to them. Uh, so I think it's a, that is a shift. So I would shift in that way. Um, and if you go direct, if you invest directly, well, first make sure you have enough deal flow so that your judgment is good. But if you go direct, I would I would move toward this decentralized world. I would put my money toward the how artificial intelligence, Bitcoin, the blockchain, smart contracts, surveillance, how they are going to affect the biggest industries in the world. That's that's where I that's what I do. I look for. I mean, right now, what's going on? Um, I can first of all banking. They have no idea what's about to hit them. And as and as soon as the women move over to Bitcoin, which is happening, um, it, in fact, it was one in 14 wallets about three months ago, and now it's one in 12 wallets that are owned by a woman. As soon as they shift, that's 80% of the purchasing power. Um, and all retail is going to want to accept Bitcoin because they don't have to pay the banks 25 to 4% every time there's a, a credit card swipe, that is going to be a major shift. Banking is in for a big comeuppance. Um, they've, had a, they've had a heck of a ride, but it might be time to you know, call it a day. Um, so banking, that's the biggest, one of the biggest industries in the world. Um, all commerce is gonna change. I think insurance is gonna change because I can actually create an insurance company with an actuary and maybe um, surveillance and a uh, and a smart contract with my client. So here's what I do. I say, okay, I'll insure your house and you pay your premiums on this smart contract in Bitcoin, everything's fine. And before you even issue a claim, you have you have Bitcoin in your wallet because I have seen from my surveillance that your house just burned down. So that you don't have to come and fight for your claim and go to lawyers and you know combat the insurance company. This is a new form of insurance. We're seeing it in all sorts of data forms, um, whether it's uh, life insurance, car insurance, house insurance, uh, you know, umbrella insurance, whatever. Um, data is going to determine that. And okay, and so that changes the whole nature of insurance. Suddenly, um, that makes you think, wow, I can have an insurance company that's really already built into a smart contract. So as soon as the wind whips up to 120 miles an hour and blows over whatever it is that I had insured, the money shows up because I because the surveillance knows that the wind blew at 120 miles an hour, so it would have happened. But is government? Well, government is a form of many insurance companies. I mean, what, 80% of government, all of governance is really insurance, except for when they actually do spend on infrastructure, which we haven't seen in California for years, or they spend mm -hmm. on education, which we haven't seen in California for years. So mm -hmm. it's insurance. Most of, in, most of government is insurance. It's your healthcare insurance. It's your workman's comp insurance. It's your unemployment insurance. It's your social security. It's your pensions, it's all of that, That it's all insurance. Why are we having the government operate those when 
I, I believe that we could have uh, my social security could be set up in Chile. I, my workman's comp could be set up in a government that's 11 miles offshore. The, the uh, Estonian government, uh, it was the first breakthrough here where they started to uh, allow residencies out for people who've never even set foot in Estonia. Um, and they, uh, and so I'm, I was the third resident of virtual resident of Estonia. So I can now do business in Europe. I can set up a bank account. I can do a whole number of different things. Um, and I'm mm -hmm. not, I don't, I don't even have to go to Estonia. Well, that's the beginning of where governance starts spreading cross border. And you see the bigger governments kind of, kind of pulling back and going, whoa, wait, 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 I like the way it is. Like China, the dictator is saying, no, no one can move. No one can get their money across the border. You guys have to stay here and we're making everything illegal. And, you know, they're kind of making life miserable there. Um, and uh, Russia, similarly, the U.S. is trying to balance that because the U.S. has always been the innovators and they, they benefited hugely from the influx of, of uh, visions that came from entrepreneurs around the internet. They don't want to lose that. At the same time, they, they're a big country and they feel like they could be self-sustaining without, while they still close down their borders. I think uh, it's a big mistake. I think we're, we're always better off when we have um, multiple uh, people. Like if, Tracy, if you had a farm and I have a house um, and we don't do a deal, I die of starvation, you, you die of exposure. Multiply that by 8 billion people around the world. That's a lot of people. They're all interconnected. They're all tied to each other. They're all doing things to serve each other, to try to make life better for each other. You know, you take a pen. This pen probably was affected in some way by 100,000 people from 35 countries. Uh, just right. pen. this, uh, you take my smartphone that probably was right. affected by 150 countries, and probably right. 10 million people somehow had some hand in making that a better experience. We've got a really interesting time here where entrepreneurs are driving this change. They're driving things forward. They're making our world a better place. They're doing things that are connecting the world and attaching things. So if you're going to invest, I would say, if you're going to invest directly, I would say anything that seems decentralized, so not tied to one government or another, anything that seems uh, like it's using data in a new way, like using AI for uh, diagnostics or using um, computational biochemistry for therapeutics or um, or using data for insurance or um, or for real estate, any of those industries. But I always like to go after the biggest industries in the world and see what technologies mm -hmm. transform those. So that's kind of a long answer to a short question. So 
apologize. No, it's fantastic. No, it's fantastic and very insightful. I'm, I'm curious about your perspective on, um, as we increase interconnectedness and globalization, clearly we still have nationalities and we still have education. So as it relates to the venture community, um, and you kind of tapped, tapped on this a little bit with the direct investment, and that's a whole, takes a whole talent pool in and of itself to, to access. But how do we retain as the United States, um, our lock on innovation and entrepreneurship and new talent while we globalize at the same time? So that's kind of one question I would have. And the other is, um, you know, while we do code open source VC, we still need expertise around how to evaluate. And you certainly have legacy interest in that for decades through your family and generations. How would you suggest a family office? So how do we maintain our corner of the market as we globalize on talent acquisition and talent management for idea generation? And then how do families really consider that balance of what do we do ourselves versus what do we really need help with as we evaluate the venture community? You know, I'll answer the first part uh, in this way. And that, that is, um, we created Draper University of Heroes, and it's an entrepreneurial school. People come from all over the world. We've had something like uh, 1,200 students, and they've come from say, 86 different countries. And they've started 300 companies, and, and they've generated about 3,000 um, leads for me, <laughs> and usually pretty good leads. Then COVID happened and we had to kind of shut that part down. And so we had to innovate and we um, created Draper University Online and uh, the entrepreneurial program. And that um, has attracted a lot of people. Well, I've just been looking through all of the one minute pitches um, and I realized that the quality is way up. So when you talk about innovation just being in America, the quality is way up. Now, why is that? Well, it costs $12,000 to go to Draper University for six weeks and you have to fly there and you have to live there and everything else in the Silicon Valley. But it, it only costs $500 to get online and join this thing for two weeks. And you get a similar kind of experience. Well, we're getting people, I mean, okay, I've just, I've just watched about 10 of these things. Incredibly interesting company coming from Myanmar. Another wow. one from South Africa, Georgia. Another one from, they're from all over Lithuania. I mean, places where you, I mean, I'm not sure we've had, you know, we've probably had students from all those. We haven't had students from Myanmar before. Um, Talk about a locked country. So, <laughs> so that's yeah. amazing that you have that. Yeah. So, um, we're we're thinking, wow, this is really interesting. We're we're getting things, we're getting deal flow we never thought we'd see. And deal flow really has become the lifeblood of venture capital. And it's starting, people are starting yeah. to see it. These people with big funds are kind of going, Oh, I'm having trouble finding good deals. And and we're sitting there going, We, you know, we see 20,000 deals a year and we're doing 20 of them. And it's a whole different environment where we're, we're trying to filter them out. And, uh, and then we're trying to grow them and, and guide them toward, you know, delighting their customers and making uh, their customers into their sales force and doing all that kind of thing. So um, 
I think the the uh, family offices are about to see a real shift, so that the way they've managed their money all this time is probably it's probably time to make some shifts. Um, and uh, and the because the innovation that we had a lock on in the Silicon Valley um, is not a lock anymore, and. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so those groups that have figured out how to create a magnet for right. entrepreneurs are going to be the big beneficiaries of this. So we kind of look. It's interesting. I mean, I used to think of my bench, my competition as Sequoia Benchmark and Excel. Now I look at my competition. And I think of it as uh, Y Combinator, Boost VC, five hundred startups plug and play, you know, uh, tech stars. I mean, I'm thinking that they're actually our co-optators uh, and it's, and it's a different thing. And I think that the bottleneck will be there rather than uh, coming from the capital. The capital will have less clout um, and the deal flow will have more clout and those things swing back and forth Yes, but yeah, uh, I think we're we're going into a period where that is going to be important. So, uh, where I think if you're going to go direct, think about where you're going to get your deal flow and how you're going to um, filter it down, and is it worth it? I mean, do you want to start it fresh or do you want to fund? Uh, you know, Draper Associates or, or the Y Combinator guys or the Booth guys or the uh, the people who are kind of focused in that way. You know, my daughter has really made a major breakthrough in venture capital. She is only backing women. And she positioned herself in an incredibly strong way where she gets primary deal flow from every female entrepreneur. And she just wrote this article I, I think everybody should see it it's called we're not a charity sorry about the word. <laughs> that's but fine she said that because she's showing everybody comes to her thinking that they're giving money away when they taught when they fund a venture capitalist who's backing women first of all 40 percent of the people we're backing are women because they're extraordinary if they're starting a business there aren't that many women that are willing to start a business and uh and my daughter's returns have been fantastic. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, she's at Halogen Ventures. I think it's one of those things that where um, if you get a niche, that can also help. If you get, if, you know, if you, if you are the place for blockchain, if you are the place for women, or you are the place for, um, AI, although I think AI spreads everywhere. Period. I also think blockchain does. But um, if you're the, the place for computational biochemistry or you're, you're the place for um, new uh, space, you're just going to do space. I think that, that that kind of thing might work. Um, if you want to be a generalist and just kind of fund companies and make it a hobby, um, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, I, I, 
think you you should just hand it over to venture capitalists or, mm -hmm. or these these new form of venture capitalists. Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating shift, as you're saying, the power dynamic going from um, being a technological innovator um, and new concept uh, design country to really needing to develop a magnet, a magnet idea. And you've certainly done that with Draper University, where you bring around where you bring together global um, global citizens to innovate together. Uh, and there's a lot to be said for how that's going to go forward in terms of, you know, we'll call open source um, venture capital. So again, you're on the cutting edge of change and leadership in your industry. It's such a delight to hear your views on that. And I, I do feel like we've covered a lot of ground today from, um, from government to tearing down borders to, you know, looking at how to continue to, uh, encourage entrepreneurs to look at this, um, look at COVID-19 as an, as an opportunity, a crucible where um, it's definitely heated us up uh, in terms of looking at new uses for different types of things. And will the, 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 um, the shock to the system will develop a lot of new ideas. So um, any, any thoughts, any parting words, maybe Tim on this, on, sure. on so much of what we talked about today? Yeah, I, actually, I want to um, let you guys know that what we did around COVID for the first couple of months, um, I just said, everybody stay home. You know, you guys, you know, we'll, we'll do Zoom calls. Everything will be fine. And then right. after a couple of months, I think people were starting to say, why am I doing this? They were mm -hmm. like, they were looking at their job thinking, you know, God, I don't know, I'm having mental health problems or I'm having whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and so I said, we've got to connect. We got to be, you know, we got to be touching uh, at some point. And so one day a week, I, I said, okay, I'm, I'm just going in on Tuesdays. You guys can come, not come, whatever you want to do. Everybody comes. And, uh, and, and not everybody. Occasionally, somebody will Zoom call in. But what it has done for us is we're all, it's like at least one day a week, we can brainstorm. We can uh, there, there's some things that are great with Zoom calls and very efficient, efficient ways to reach lots of people, efficient ways to um, connect with somebody you've been um, dying to connect with, but they live in Nebraska or whatever. Um, but, uh, but there's something that also that you miss. And, uh, and maybe through VR or holograms or something, we'll get closer to it. But there is an energy that's lost. And uh, and so I recommend having, uh, you know, a safe place or whatever where you can all get together in person in real time to uh, to somehow go over those things that matter. And then when you connect, reconnect with the people, it's like, oh, I remember why I do this. I do this for all the people. You know, I'm helping people. I'm not just mm -hmm. staring into screens. And uh, so I recommend all you family offices have a regular time where you meet with people in person. Uh, I think you'll be better off. Everybody's going to be happier. Uh, the, the downside is very low and the upside is much is very high. So I think that that's kind of, I mean, I leave you with sort of that, that kind of thinking. Also, if you need to reach me, 
Um, I'm Tim at Draper.vc. I do read all my emails. I take all of Friday. <laughs> That's all I do. Um, Friday is reading day. Friday, I catch up on everything. And, uh, and so if you have a, but particularly reach me, if not, if you just want <laughs> to shoot the breeze, I reach me if you have a business plan, you know somebody who you want to introduce me to who has a business plan, you want to invest, you want to, uh, something that that is uh, relevant to um, where you you know where you're going. Those are all always terrific. I always welcome them, uh, but don't just put me on your list for spam or whatever because I'll put your you on my spam list. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, this has been fantastic, and you are so approachable and so wonderful to talk with, and. I want to thank the audience for participating and tuning in today. And I want to thank you, Tim, specifically for sharing your insights on venture capital and the industry at this pivotal time in our country's history and in the globe's history. And please do take Tim up, all the family offices listening who are nationwide and global, please do take him up on any follow-up conversation you may want to have. And also for additional insights, leading news and information affecting family offices please visit our dedicated website at bostonprivate.com front slash family office. And there you can browse or sign up for regular updates from our team of experts. So Tim, thank you again so much for this wonderful conversation. My pleasure, Tracy. And thank you for uh, those great questions. I mean, you really did put some time and effort into those questions that got me going. And you warned me about the questions ahead. So I kind of had them in my head. Uh, so I kind of spewed, so you didn't get to ask them all because I already had answered them all. Um, but, but thank you very much for having me, and uh, I hope people uh, enjoy it. I'm sure they will, and thank you again so much for your time. We'll talk again very soon. Okay, bye-bye. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions, and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW, nor its investment professionals or representatives, provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, and may lose value.